Welcome back to Awakening Reformation, where Reformation awakens now. My name is Grant, and joined with me on this episode is my beautiful wife, Erica, the Weaker Vessel. Hello, everyone. And also joining with us on this episode is a very, very special guest. We call him our MVP. He is our MVP listener, none other than the Wes Mooborn. What's up? (laughs) How are you doing, Wes? I'm doing great, man. How are you guys doing? Not bad. We kind of set up a new studio here in our through, closet. Through much <laughs> blood, sweat, and tears. We missed our closet in North Carolina. Yep. So we had to bring it back. <laughs> bring back the closet. That's right. <laughs> Go back <laughs> There's in. There's nothing like the South. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. You Your got accent that right. has brought back s- some fond memories there, Wes. I can say y'all a few more times if you like. <laughs> Please. You can't, you can't overdo it with us. Well, um, let's not dare the man. It's the, it is the Lord's Day, Wes. How has your Lord's Day been? It has been uh, quite good, actually. Um, our Bible study class is working through Romans. So we were in nice. Romans 12 uh, for a good part of the first half. And our sermon series is going through the book of John. And uh, we're in chapter 8. Uh learning about how the Pharisees were of their father, the devil. Oh, so, that's a good uh, one. Yeah, nice. it's, been a, it's been a fun day. Very good. That's <laughs> some heavy stuff. That's good. Yeah. So to get this little tidbit out of the way, if you want to find out more about Awakening Reformation podcast, we are a part of Rebel Alliance Media. Go to rebelalliancemedia.com. You'll find Rebel Podcast with P. Nate and Chris Poots as well as a podcast we do with our kids on church history called Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids. You can find it in iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. Subscribe to us. Follow us on social media. Ben Emery also has a new podcast. That's right. Redeeming History. Those come out on Fridays, and they're really, really good. You you go, Ben Emery. And he actually spent a lot of time producing those, and I think it came out pretty good. Yeah. We always say Ben is like the mastermind behind the scenes, and now he's he like is. finally surfacing. We can see all of his he's genius like, on display. He's like the mega mind behind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go check it out and follow us on social media as well. That's why Wes is here because he does that. Wes is like our number one interactor. <laughs> is that a word? <laughs> Wes is like the number it one person. What, what, Wes? It can be interactor. Yeah. Add to dictionary. I do yeah. that on Microsoft Word all the time. There you go. And, but he engages with us. He's constantly messaging us, asking questions and suggesting topics. He was being encouraging to us. And in his encouragement, we drafted him for an episode. Which I don't know if he reluctantly obliged or was happy to come on. He says he was happy to come on, but. But that might be forced. He might have just. Either way, obligated. we've got him now, so. His southern kindness just forced him to say yes. That's right. So. Let the listener beware. (laughs) (laughs) So Wes did promise that along the way he's going to stir the pot. Not really sure what that means yet. I think we we look forward to it. Sounds exciting. But as far as the topic goes, we were going to talk about problem passages or problem issues that Christians may face as 
they live their lives in the world at the workplace, whether they're doing evangelism or what have you. The idea arose from something Doug Wilson said where he basically was saying that Christians ought to have zero problem passages. There should be nothing in scripture that the Christian is ill-equipped to face or explain to someone else. Right. Or that they themselves don't understand. Mm-hmm. So here we are. And I've heard him say in another way, too, that there's nothing in the Bible that the Bible teaches Christians should be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. You've already given up the fight if you're going to steer away from certain doctrines or certain passages just because the culture doesn't like it. So a Christian should never be ashamed in that way. If we're going to base our entire religious beliefs, our entire lives off of the Bible, we need not be ashamed. So what are some problem issues, problem passages that we were going to talk about that? What say you, Wes? Well, uh, I think one issue in general that uh, I see even here in the Deep South, uh, for those who don't know, I'm from uh, Birmingham, Alabama, so I'm hard of Dixie right here. <laughs> nice. um, even, even here, there's a tendency to divorce our church life, our faith from other aspects of our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when we come to work, you know, we don't, we don't bring the Bible with us into work. There, there's like a wall there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I think that's, that's where um, a, a lot of issues can arise uh, in a host of different ways, apologetically, because our walk is not matching our profession. Mm-hmm. Right. It has like maybe two kingdom tendencies. Yeah. Almost like, um, uh, a Stephen Jay Gould type of two kingdom where it's just like a non-overlapping magisteria. We've got our faith over here and we've got our social life over here. Mm-hmm. Right. So what's the conflict and, that Christians run into when they try to do that? Well, when you have uh, people, when I have uh, folks, for example, ask me uh, questions, uh, I don't subscribe to that. So I'm going to go right to the Bible and use that. But mm-hmm. the conversations that I hear yeah. uh, from my coworkers, for example, is, well, you know, different people are going to see it different ways and do different things. Mm-hmm. And when you have a, a someone who's asking a question gen- genuinely wanting to know and you give kind of a dismissive answer like that, you really can turn the person off. Kind of takes away your ability to fulfill the Great Commission. Exactly. Well, and if Scripture is our standard by which we base everything, all of our moral decisions, all of our life decisions, if we're going to divorce that from said decision, now we've lost any foundation to even make any type of judgment Mm -hmm. as a Christian. Well, and to get slightly pre-sub apologetics about it, in the workplace, there are laws and rules that are that line up with the Bible that are assumed all over the place. Don't steal. Don't lie. There's all, you know, don't uh, bear false witness. There's all sorts of things. That so are we going to end up end up talking about theonomy? We don't <clears throat> we don't have to, but I think it <laughs> necessarily will lead you down that path. OK, let's, let's go there because then it's which standard. Yeah. All right, Wes. Well, even if you don't, go, yeah. Even if you don't go down the full theonomy route, I think Grant, you you open the door to exactly the the conversation that we run into is which standard are we using? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, when, when somebody asks a question, whether it's about you know the the cultural topics of the day like homosexuality, um, yeah. abortion, things like that, or something as universally accepted as don't steal, don't murder, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. 
there comes a question of what standard and why. The, the first place that, that I start is from my personal reasoning uh, is very much similar to Peter's response to Jesus in John 6 after many disciples had left him mm-hmm. when he turns and says, are you going to leave now? Peter's response is, where else are we going to go? Yeah. Yeah. You have the, the, the words of eternal life. Mm-hmm. It's like one of my favorite passages. Um, you, you had brought up uh, when we were talking to you about coming on about this no true Scotsman fallacy that that you, we see people engaging in all the time argument. Do you want to give an example of that, Wes? Well, sure. Um, when you're talking with somebody who's pro-choice, for example, okay, and, and they say, I'm pro-choice and Christian, mm-hmm. somebody could say, well, if you're pro-choice, you're not really Christian. Mm-hmm. And then immediately be accused of the no true Scotsman fallacy to say, you know, who are you to say what's truly Christian mm-hmm. or not? That's yeah. just a, just a, a simple, a quick example. But I mean, there are a bunch of others. Like well, that. Yeah. And I can see it going the other way, too. Like, well, you can't be a, a true Christian if you're um, accepting of LGBTQ plus uh, ideologies and on and on they go. And that person coming back and right. saying... Well, I am loving like God said right. we were supposed to be. I'm I'm loving my neighbor, so I'm fulfilling. Yeah, you're the, the one law. that's not. Yeah. You're not a true Christian. I am. But when you so so, how do you engage that? Well, we have to have a standard. We have right. to have a everlasting, eternal, never changing standard to base everything off of. And you don't find that anywhere except the Bible. And Psalm one nineteen talks about how God's word is fixed in the heavens forever, you know? And so, you know, all these conversations separating work and church life or the, you know, this two kingdom idea that there's a secular uh, part of your life and then there's a sacred part of your life just ends up falling apart because life is not divided in that way. And, and then like we've been talking, it eventually leads you down to the road of, okay, well then, what is the standard I live by? And if you're a Christian, it has to be God's word across mm-hmm. the board. When it comes to how you work, how you do your family, how you do your finances, mm-hmm. how you're a manager at your job, on and on you go. Well, that's where the theonomy would creep in a little bit and be like, okay, what if you are a civil magistrate? Then right. then what? But that's a whole other conversation for another day. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let me let me put this out as a as a suggestion, or, or maybe to see how you guys would respond to this. Instead of framing the question or the topic of how would a Christian respond to something, mm-hmm. phrase it in such a way as to say, "What's the biblical response, or what does the Bible say yeah. about this?" Because when you say, "What's the Christian position?" Well, then you know. What Christian are you talking about? Yeah, take your pick. You know, how right. do you define Christian? Right. Yeah. But but if you can narrow it down to say, what does the Bible have to say about this? Yeah. Then anyone who identifies as a Christian that's not using a biblical standard right. is exposed. And then you can have that conversation. And it's not whatever the issue is that you're talking about so much as the different standard. And I think that's helpful, too, because yep. the Christian – the the term Christian, the body of Christ, isn't even the standard. There are a lot of Christians who make terrible decisions or have very poor theology. So that's not our standard. Like you said, the Bible is our standard. So we'd be better off saying, what does the Bible say? As opposed to, 
how should a Christian respond to this? It's like, how would the Bible uh, impress on us to respond to this or whatever? Right. That's what we refer to. We don't refer back to ourselves because we can be picked apart or they can just be like, well, I just don't trust you. don't believe you or whatever. But assuming the authority of scripture, which is, again, kind of a, a precept mindset when you're engaging people with this is you assume they do know God. Mm-hmm. You assume that scripture does have authority and that's what you refer to. And we to. did an episode on presuppositionalism with Michael Mock. Yeah. I think that's still on the feed. We'd have to go back and look at what number that was, but you could probably still find that episode going back in mm-hmm. our archive. Yeah. Maybe we should post that one to YouTube. Yeah. Ben Emery. <laughs> <laughs> Post it on YouTube. (laughs) So one thing that I see all the time are like Christian memes, quote unquote Christian memes. Mm -hmm. People will share things like, um, I think there's one of a two CV of Jesus who's like chilling on a rock and someone's like, should I love my gay neighbor? Should I love my Muslim neighbor? neighbor?" Yeah. Yeah. And then Jesus is like saying in a bubble, did I stutter? Yeah. When he said, love your neighbor. Yeah. Like, did I stutter? Did I say that I that you shouldn't love the gay neighbor, that you shouldn't love the Muslim neighbor? And there's obviously an agenda behind what the mm-hmm. meme is yeah. is trying to communicate, which is basically just accept everyone, love everyone, don't cast judgment, quote unquote, on the gay yeah. neighbor or the Muslim neighbor. Don't don't call them out on their sin. Don't mm-hmm. hold God's word up to them and say, This is where, you know, you're falling short. This is where you're believing a lie. This is what God's word says. That would be too judgmental. So instead, just love them. So what are they, in that meme, Wes, what are they trying to get you to buy into? Uh, one, they're trying to get me to buy into uh, the the look of the Mormon Jesus, which I don't subscribe <laughs> to. <laughs> which um, is so not cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and uh, in a, uh, when the 2CV uh, conversation gets a little heated, you, you can just say instead, oh, that's a nice Mormon Jesus you got there. And uh, just, yeah, stir the pot that way. That's perfect. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head saying that the idea behind the, the meme is uh, e- equivocating between love and acceptance. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that's a dangerous equivocation to make because love, by definition, is exclusive. Mm-hmm. I cannot love all people like I love my wife. Mm-hmm. Right. I cannot love all people like I love my daughter, my family, mm-hmm. uh, it, because it would not be right to the, those relationships. And it devalues the uh, the relationship between my wife and I, it devalues the relationship between uh, my daughter and I uh, to, to do that. And um, when you look at the love, for example, that God has for his people, that is distinct from the general love that he has for all of creation, for all of mankind. Right. And it, if somebody said, well, just love like Jesus loved, yes and amen. Now tell me how you understand Jesus's love. Right. I think that's the problem is what you're defining love as. And that meme, yep. they're trying to get you to buy into their definition of love, which means I have no problems with you and everything you do. Which is pacifism, yeah. It's, it's just a, yeah. I'm not going to create any type of squabble with you. I'm just going to be at peace with you mm-hmm. and you be at peace with me, And which is that, you know, coexist, 
bumper sticker. I mean, the message is just kind of like creeps into another yeah. message and another portion of their agenda. Basically, they just don't want anyone to be in conflict with anyone else. Everyone just get along and let's not talk about anything that has to do with sin or God's judgment right. or God's wrath or any expectations that are placed on humans as image bearers. We yeah. don't need to talk about that. Just ignore it all. Yeah, and Jesus had extremely harsh words for a couple of the churches at the beginning of Revelation because they tolerated mm-hmm. false teaching and they tolerated Jezebel well, in their city. In and the church. problem with their idea of love is that it's just like Wes said earlier, it's not a biblical definition of love. So mm-hmm. if we look at the Bible, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. Right. Well, okay, well, what did Jesus call us to when he's referring to obedience, he's talking about a lot of things that the more liberal portion of the church would be very uncomfortable with. Well, like right in that meme, uh, do I love my, you know, Muslim neighbor, Buddhist neighbor, but part of loving Jesus is obeying him, which is to have no other gods before him. Well, like and, right away, and he wasn't, Jesus wasn't shy about telling people where they were sinning yeah. and calling them to repentance. Mm-hmm. So, I have a hard time thinking they understand what real biblical love is. Yeah, you know, so it, it kind of overlaps with this idea of relationship evangelism. That mm-hmm. before yeah. you can evangelize somebody, you've got to be their friend. Yeah, True. and I, I I hesitate to criticize that because I think there is some merit to cultivating a relationship with people but not at the expense of evangelism, not at the expense of truth. Right. And maybe a better way to say it is to not pursue unity rather than truth, to pursue them both. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in a situation like that, um, maybe the first time you meet somebody, if you find out they're Muslim, it's okay not to call them a, a sinner uh, and call <laughs> them to repentance right then and there. You know, if it's a dinner party or something like that, but if if you move into a, a neighborhood and you find out one of your neighbors is Muslim, invite them over. Yeah. In, invite them to, to meet you, yeah. meet your family, and, and exchange ideas. And in that conversation, lay it out. Nothing wrong with that. Well, and there are a and, lot of not-so-intrusive ways to evangelize, too. Meaning what? Like, you can ask them, oh, you're a Muslim? I'm a Christian. Have you ever um, really been taught what... Christians believe or ask them really what they believe what does Islam I, about or something and and start to just kind of up like dig out and show what you guys really believe and start to have a conversation and it doesn't just have to be like Muslim I know exactly what you believe and you know what I mean you just assume all this stuff about them from the get go and like you said Wes just automatically go you're a sinner you're headed for hell you right. need Jesus right away but if you get them comfortable and you start talking, I mean, people do love talking about themselves. This is usually true. And their own beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. And their own beliefs. And so if you talk about that and then you ask them, have you, have you heard about what the real message of the Bible is or what have you heard about the Bible or what do you know? And that can be a less intrusive way to even evangelize some of those. Or even inviting sensitive. them to something like uh, Wes mentioned hospitality, inviting them into your home, mm-hmm. but also like inviting them to coffee, inviting them to church, inviting them to a women's Bible study. If, yeah. if they're a woman, if they're a guy, don't do that. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> a play date if they have kids. Like, hey, why don't we take our kids to the park down the street? Right. And then you can, I'll bring coffee or whatever. Um, there are ways that you can start a relationship and open that door towards evangelism. Right. And Grant, I think you, you brought up a, a really good uh, technique, I guess is a good way to say it, especially for someone else who is religious. Uh, so mm-hmm. somebody who's a Muslim to, to be able to engage with, hey, you know what? I'm a Christian. What do you believe as a Muslim? Right. Um, anyone who is religious, uh, especially you know, Judaism or Islam uh, is going to have kind of an evangelistic impulse built into their worldview. Mm. And I think that's, that's what motivates a lot of the, like you said, Erica, we, we like to talk about ourselves and our faith. And I'm sure the three of us would agree if somebody said, Hey, you know what? I'm a Hindu. You're a Christian. What is it? What's this Jesus guy all about? Mm-hmm. Right. We wouldn't hesitate. Right. Absolutely. And, yeah. and so that, that that gives a really good introduction to that, and you start by asking questions, and it gets them talking, and it gets them engaged, and it helps build that relationship while giving you the opportunity to share the gospel. That's awesome. So another thing that we hear all the time from the world that I think Christians sometimes stumble around over is they often claim, usually about the LGBTQ community, and actually sometimes the complete opposite from that community. But we're going to go with the one side here. And that's the I was born this way claims. And, like, and it I goes beyond born, that too. I was born gay. Right. I was born gay. I Just the way I've always been. And then also even things like I was born an alcoholic or I was born... With any sin tendency. Right. I was born selfish. I was born bossy. I was born whatever. But yeah, it's in my it's my INTJ-ness. So how do Christians normally answer this? And then we'll talk about well, Wes, not really we'll a... talk about how the Bible would answer this. <laughs> <laughs> there's not really like a passage that talks about like a Christian's personality is like this, or a Christian like isn't isn't born gay, or a Christian, which I think the church's argument has been for decades that that people are not born gay. Like that was a big thing that it's we could choice. not admit that Christians are born gay, that they are choosing to be gay. But in a mm-hmm. sense, we know from scripture that right. we are born into sin and conceived in sin. Right. We're born children of wrath. So if someone would come to you and say, well, I I am who I am. It's just how you know I was born. I, I don't need to turn away from any of my behaviors. I am just this way. Like that's kind of what the resounding argument is right. right now. Well, I think we would all agree. You must be born again. Yeah. There you go. There we go. Right? That'll tweet. I mean, you, you're born with a, praise God that you know the, the sin that you struggle with. Some of us don't even have that recognition. <laughs> True. That's that's one way to look at it is, is to say, you you know exactly what your struggle is. Yeah. And, and the, the Bible can lay out uh, principles to, to help. They can help you understand why you struggle with it. Um, and, and actually, to kind of back up a second to the church's response, mm-hmm. I, I think it's been kind of um, in two different strains. Okay. One is the behavior of homosexual, of homosexual behavior and yeah. homosexuality as a disposition. Right. And I think um, where most Christians, uh, even the, the evangelifish uh, <laughs> w- would agree that the behavior 
could be sinful, even if the the disposition or the desire is not. Mm. Uh, so there's that side of it. But when you get to the desire, I think that's when you get to Romans 3, all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1, you were dead in your sin and trespasses. Uh, look, we all have sin, uh, regardless of what it is. Mm-hmm. And even that desire, whether it manifests itself or not, and, and we can look to the, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, you know, the law says this behavior, murder, is, is sinful. But I say if you even hate your neighbor in your heart, right. not if, if, if you actually murder him, it's bad. But if you want to murder him, it's OK. <laughs> you know, but just by hating him, you have committed murder in your heart. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that and, and then he goes specifically to a sexual sin. Mm-hmm. Adultery mm-hmm. is a behavior. And the lust that produces adultery is also sinful. That's good. Yep. So now that we have kind of talked through some of these problems or uh, misconceptions that maybe like some Christians are believing about certain verses found in scripture. Yeah. What do we do then as Christians? How do we go about sharing truth should we go ahead and attack people on social media and be like this is the dumbest meme ever what say you well how i do it uh, (laughs) is (laughs) um i i let me let me actually back up and say i have done the full full full-on offensive on facebook and i I say offensive and i mean offensive uh and I've, i've gone too far on on social media but the, the approach I try to take now is personally kill my own sin, work on the plank in my eye mm-hmm. before looking at, at the, uh, the speck in somebody else's. Second, I have a ministry in my household, so I should be ministering to my wife and my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a ministry at church with my class. Yeah. I should be proclaiming truth there, standing firm, uh, helping the body to be built together in, in the capacity that I have. And after those, then look outwardly. Because mm-hmm. if I'm focused on the unbelieving world, but I've neglected my church family, my, my household, or myself, I'm undermining anything I do. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. So it's not less than engaging on social media, but you take a more holistic approach. Yeah. Yeah, I, I try to. Let me let me say it that way. I think that's good because I think Christians can fall on either end of the ditch and say we should be engaging on social media, but sometimes, like you said, that does lead to neglecting the church body or your family. Or we can say, while no real uh, hearts can ever be yeah. affected on social media, so just. Just ignore the memes. Just don't even bother it. engaging. It's just starting an argument. And both are wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to say something actually to the the withholding uh, social media interaction because it doesn't help anything. I can speak just from my personal experience. I've had numerous people over the years talk to me either through private messaging or at church or other social events where they haven't liked or commented on conversations that I've had, but they've seen it hmm. and it's gotten them to thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, while it may not have fruit to, uh, or, or with 
the person with whom you're having the discussion, right? That interaction is public and everybody they're friends with and everybody that I'm friends with has access to that. Right. Well, I can think of in particular, Wes, you're, you're really good about posting, um, things pertaining to like abortion. And I know you've had several conversations on Facebook in particular where you're engaging with more of the feministic pro-choicers, mostly women, who uh, can get quite heated when they're discussing abortion. And you're very good about keeping it very factual, very non-emotional, and very biblical. And I think that there have been several conversations that I've been really impressed with, just how you've handled people coming at you personally. So good for you, Wes. Good on you. (laughs) Thanks. Well, you know, working 10 years in a call center will do that to you. You get all kinds of attacks. And you just... You got to let it go. Yeah. That's really funny. Yeah, that's good. See, look, even God is using your job to help you engage, you know, culture for the kingdom. That's right. Well, that's the thing, too, is like being post-millennial, nothing is neutral. And we are trying actively to bring about kingdom expansion. Yeah. So by any means that are holy, social media is not neutral. Like nope. It can be used and wielded to expand Christ's yeah. kingdom. And should that should be. be our end game. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not post-millennial, but everything else is, yeah. We'll get you there. We'll get you yeah. there. <laughs> oh, you will? Or the Spirit? We Well, we'll the Spirit uses means, Wes. <laughs> yeah. Means. God uses means. Let's you be honest. If, if the Spirit's going to use means, it's going to be Nate, right? It's not going to be us. That's true. <laughs> uh, no argument there. Come on, Nate. Are we going to, can we stir that pot for like five minutes, seven minutes or something? You want to stir, you want to stir the pot? <laughs> yeah, I want to know what your barrier is. What's your hiccup? Um, part of it is I haven't actually dug down enough to mm-hmm. to firmly separate what distinguishes omnil and postnil uh, in, in a lot of ways, and I, I think I'm probably trending more in that direction. And I, I don't know how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. And um, just a uh, funny, quick story. Yesterday, I was meeting with a friend from church um, for breakfast, and. He is very much not Calvinist. He's not in, in what you would consider any form of reform. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we've had several public disagreements uh, on uh, various aspects of Calvinism. <laughs> but as we're talking, we get into eschatology and we talk about how, you know, being in a Southern Baptist church, one of the more dominant views is more dispensational, more premillennial. Yeah. And he just said, unprovoked that, you know, yeah, the more I look into it, the the more it just seems like post-millennialism is right. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> That's awesome. So, so he so is a I, smart I'm getting guy. it from both ends now. Well, talking about problem passages, what got us into post-millennialism was just me being tired of never having answers. Mm-hmm. Like, I was terrified of Revelation. I was terrified of most of the prophets. None of it made sense. And I was just like, this is a problem that I don't like reading large portions of my Bible. And I can't understand large portions of my Bible. Yeah. And that's kind of what got us in that, like, the mindset of this This should not be a problem for us. Like, we should be able to understand this. Because scripture says you can understand scripture. So what's the issue here? So that's kind of how we ended up becoming post-millennial was just being yeah. tired of not 
being well for me at least i don't know yeah i i felt like i had to like science fiction parts of the bible in order for it to make sense (laughs) but we grew up in a dispensational church too so a lot of that just kind of like warps your mind (laughs) it's really true yeah you're reading revelation and then right next to it your uh commentary is the left behind series right basically yeah (laughs) and it's terrifying no no i just saw the movies (laughs) this would be a good time to plug the the eschatology series yeah yeah, Nate did a great eschatology. Yep, he did a great series. It's on the website. You can go stream every episode of it right now. RebelAlliancemedia.com. Yeah. I think, you know, the only difference I I happen to see between all mill and post mill, and I haven't done extensive, extensive studies, although I was like hardlined pre-trib, pre-mill and read everything I could on all that and then kind of gave it all up for a while and then started to get convinced of postmillennialism but it's real it really comes down to the scope of Jesus's rule right now mm-hmm. what do you mean by that so the amils that i've listened to and read they will say that Jesus is ruling his kingdom now but the scope of that is just basically like heavenly like yeah heaven or just the church and and that's where it stops. Whereas post mills will see the Great Commission and Jesus saying, all authority on heaven and earth is given to me. Mm-hmm. Therefore, go and disciple the nations. Well, and we actually were in a Sunday school class at one point with someone who was, was he a millennial? Who? I don't want to use his name. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we'll cut that out. We okay. won't use his name. Yeah. But and he, this guy in our Sunday school class, when he was explaining that, was basically saying, like, yes, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, but not really. Like, not just yet. Like, he has authority in heaven and on parts of the earth, mm-hmm. but not with, like, the unbelievers, not mm-hmm. in, like, it was more of a two-kingdom idea of the secular is still not put under Christ's rule yet. Yeah. So, that they... From what you're saying, that the Amal perspective of Jesus's reign is similar to a less Calvinistic view of sovereignty, where where God has sovereignly withheld His sovereignty in, in areas so that people can make free decisions. <laughs> Pretty much, kind yeah. Of kind of. Okay, I can yeah. see that. How do y'all view the thousand years? Is it a literal thousand years from the post-mill perspective, or is it more of a uh, no uh, figurative? No, it's. I'd now take it as figurative from the resurrection until Jesus comes again. So that's the the new creation started at the resurrection. That was the first act of God recreating all things. The new creation started there. And so that's how even we can be called new creatures. Second mm-hmm. Corinthians right. five. You're a new creature in Christ. But I'm I mean, I still get sick and and get tired. So it's a slow spread and growth that eventually will cover the whole world. Well, and world. death is the last enemy. And then be. death being the last enemy. And First Corinthians 15 says that Jesus will reign until uh, he squashes his last enemy, until he defeats his last enemy, which is death. So I know he's reigning now. And so that's the thousand years. There's no reign after he returns. Okay. So w- would you say that at the at the resurrection that is when he defeated death or is is that is that i think first corinthians 15 
is that looking more towards the future in the second coming when death is defeated? Death is yeah, death is defeated completely um, at the second coming. I would say the resurrection. He acquired the weapon to kill it, mm-hmm. you know, and then but from then until when he returns is him, you know, gathering in the elect in the process of making his enemies a footstool for his feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, OK, you know, the call to repentance, even if he wasn't already king, then what am I what am I telling people? You know, like he has to be a right. a, a ruler now. For me to tell people, hey, you're in trouble. You're not obeying your ruler. And we don't yeah, have... who are you submitting to? Right. And so you're either a disobedient subject or an obedient one. Mm-hmm. If he rules everything, then everyone is either a disobedient subject in the realm, in the kingdom, or not. It just... That made way more sense to me to just have an all-encompassing, exhaustive view of what Jesus rules then rather kind of chop it up and just say the church and stuff like that. Because again, when, and I know this is before Jesus, but when Jonah went to Nineveh and they all repented, what did that look like? They're all now following the Lord. And there was no like, well, we're not Jewish. We don't have to obey Yahweh. Mm-hmm. You know, it was no. It, he... it was, it would have been, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. It, it would have, it seems to me it would have been very similar to, um, the sojourners who joined Israel, right. Gentiles who were taken taken in to the king uh, to the nation of Israel. Yeah, God's rule was not limited to just that one nation. God, you know, God wasn't being foolish sending Jonah off. Like, why, God? Why are you doing that? Those aren't your people. You know what I mean? Well, God saves more than just the Jews yeah. in the Old Testament, contrary to popular right. belief, and that's because all people owe allegiance to Yahweh. Yeah. I think for me, it's it's always been more of a question of the timeline, and that's why I've, I've kind of defaulted to Amil, uh-huh. because I see the end, end times, if you will, starting in the apostolic era and continuing to now, which clearly is more than a thousand years, so it can't be a literal thousand years. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's kind of where I've been, and I didn't come from it, or come into the, the discussion from a a more Disney pre-mill, mm-hmm. I didn't really have a view on it. I, okay. I didn't honestly. I didn't even read the Book of Revelation until about um, three years ago. I, I just held it at a distance. It seemed <laughs> like it caused more division than unity. Yeah. So I, was, I don't even want to want to deal with that. And uh, I step into a Bible study that's going through the Book of Revelation verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and go, "All right, here we go." <laughs> You're probably better off, honestly. Yeah, but uh, I. I think um, my focus more has been on understanding the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, as we were talking about earlier, this two kingdom idea. Yeah. Um, I'm leaning more towards a, a two kingdom idea, not a separate, but more of an overlapping uh, recognition of uh, the, the kingdom, mm-hmm. but how the kingdom of God manifests here and now. From, from what it sounds like, I'm probably going to be post-mill in a couple of years, if not before. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's and we but praise I'm, God I'm, for that. <laughs> yeah, you're and, welcome. And it's just because um, you read your Bible, and that's why. You read your Bible and you believe it. You know, actually, when we were going through and writing our like little Advent, it was 
shocking to us as we went back and read all of the familiar verses, the Christmas mm-hmm. Eve verses and stuff, just how post-millennial well, all yeah, the prophecies they all, were. Yeah, they all emphasize Jesus's kingship and his rule. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. yeah. They're not just about him being the savior um, Which they of his are. people. Yeah. They are about that. Saving his people from their sins and ruling them. Yeah. And ruling the nations. Mm-hmm. That was fascinating. Yeah. And a quick study of Psalm 110, too. Well, I mean, man, <laughs> it's really hard to walk through Psalm 110 and not come to a post-millennial landing. Anyway. Or at least an optimistic amil. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. can. I've had those, you know, I hear people call that. And that's, I can take that. I mean. We'll accept it. Yeah. That's uh, an accepting grade, Wes. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> You have any last thoughts, Wes? Uh, actually, just one. Uh, I know we kind of started talking about apologetics, yeah. but it occurred to me about halfway through that we were talking more about evangelism. Yes. And I think it's always helpful to explicitly point out that apologetics and evangelism are not separate. They are two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. So if you're practicing evangelism properly, you will be, or rather biblically, yeah. you will be practicing apologetics and vice versa. I yeah. just want to make sure that that gets out there. No, it's a really good point to make because almost every apologetics conference or something is going to always refer back to what? It's going to refer back to Paul and Acts 17, right? Yep. And what was he doing there? Preaching the gospel. So you're exactly right. We can't separate the two. If you do evangelism, you're going to end up having to defend parts of the Christian faith. Yep. People always have Especially questions. today. Wes, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. It was really awesome to talk with you. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for jumping all over the map with us. Yeah, no kidding. Well, we appreciate your listenership and just um, your engagement with us constantly and your encouragement to us. Uh, We really appreciate it, Wes. Well, I I am thankful for the ministry you guys have. Uh, I know it may sound strange to some to say, uh, a ministry for a podcast, but that's that's really what it is. You're you're holding the biblical truth. You're doing it publicly. You're doing it as a husband and wife team, which is uh, actually rare in the, in the podcast world. And uh, I, I think it's just a breath of fresh air, really. Awesome. Well, you the best. <laughs> um. All right. You good, babe? I'm good. All right. Well, thank you again, everybody, for listening. Don't forget to subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher so you always get our new episodes and that's rebel alliance media we pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened by the power of the spirit and until next time get woke yeah let's start with the microphone check one two first water to the dry and weary soul of the true church the kind of things that you search they say that the truth hurts well this pain is gained so let's explain the new birth first things first can't neglect this at the start i must preface my remarks with the deadness of the heart from original sin the effects of the fall the sin of our first parents brought death to us all since adam was our federal head what he did counted for us in him were all rebels and dead yo captured in the mind disaster sin and crimes in a dark state alaska in the winter time sour in our frames left to ourselves we be devoured in the flames because we're powerless to change if you feel that way i pray that you respond happily as you see what jesus had to say in john chapter 3.
you peep this, you'll see that verse one is my thesis. It's the deepest truth that should get you speechless. What scripture teaches will fill in the missing pieces. Picture Jesus meeting up with Nicodemus. Perhaps it was fright about the other Pharisees' wicked spite against Christ that turned this into Nicod night. He called the rabbi and gave him props, said he was a teacher from God. Jesus replied, made him stop. Regarding the kingdom of God, no one's going in. In fact, you can't even see it unless you're born again. That must have consumed and stretched his mind, cause he said, Can a man enter his mother's womb a second time? Naturalistically, the only way for him to hear it. Jesus said you must be born of the water and the spirit. No other way to enter heaven. That sounds like Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. In this new birth, the spirit is the source and the agent. The water symbolizes spiritual purification. Yeah. Flesh can only produce flesh. That's true and factual. Regenerating work of the spirit is supernatural. It's kind of like the wind, which is free. East to west can't perceive the steps. You can only see its effects in the same way the Holy Spirit chooses whom he pleases to sovereignly open their eyes to the truth of Jesus. For the spirit's mysterious operation uh -huh. We will all be under serious condemnation I'd still be rejecting the sun If God hadn't said let there be light Like Genesis 1 yeah. And just like the light could not refuse to shine Irresistible grace has renewed my mind Let's exalt the king who died and truly is risen Jesus. The new birth is not the effect of human decision But the cause It changes our natural habitation The situation It's a radical transformation I was cursed and polluted So my dirt was inexcusable With new internal his person is beautiful, his worth is indisputable The lamb is amazing, a standing ovation for his work in the crucible So let us respond with true worship and love To the God who has given new birth from above